Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that once again we might open your word uh, to a very familiar passage. And yet, Lord, one that we need to constantly be coming back to. We pray for your Holy Spirit to to open our eyes, Lord, not just to to see something new, but Lord, to see what your will is. God, to see what are the things that, that you are saying to it and help us to respond, Lord, both with repentance and faith uh, in a way that would honor and glorify you. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. So have you ever heard the saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing? You know, that's a, that's a good thing to remember because we just live in a world where there's so many distractions, so many different things that are that are going on. And what we have in our passage today is the main thing for the church, namely the fulfillment of the Great Commission. These are, are Jesus' last words to his disciples while he is here upon his on, on this earth. And and through them, we see that this comes to the church. And I recognize for, for most of us, we have heard many sermons, maybe a boatload of sermons on uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. And, and I've probably preached a boatload of uh, sermons on this passage as well. But I think, I think one thing that we need to, to challenge ourselves as we encounter familiar passages is to ask ourselves, to what degree are we obeying what God tells us in his word and what to what degree are we trusting in what it is that, that God has said? Um, most recently, I, I had a, a Christian uh, tell me that for years they had the conviction that they ought to do family worship. I mean, they've, they've heard teaching on it. They've heard scripture passages on it. And they said, but it, it wasn't until recently that that actually has become a part of their family priorities and their family routine. And it just reminded me that it never hurts for us to be challenged by God's word, to spur us on to obedience and, and to faith in him. And so let us look closely at the words that Jesus gives to the church while he is here upon this earth. And I want us to see three things about the Great Commission. First of all, I want us to look at the assignment of the Great Commission. What is it that, that what is the Great Commission? You know, what, what are the words that Jesus says? Well, if you look at verse 19, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The, the command that we see in this passage is not what sometimes it's been taught to be. I know when I was younger, it seemed like many preachers would say, the command is to go. You need to go into foreign lands and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, and then I went to, grew up and I went to seminary and I learned Greek and I looked at the Greek and I realized that's not the command. Actually, the command, there's only one command in this passage, and that is the command to make disciples. Actually, the text in the Greek reads, as you are going, as you are living life, make disciples. And it talks about how we are to make disciples as we 
uh, as we baptize, as, as uh, we teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And so really, that's, and this is sort of where I got the, the sermon text of living life together is, is that really Jesus is saying, as you are living life together, make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? You know, you would think that there's a lot of ambiguity in Scripture about what it means to make a disciple, because if you want to talk about a topic that's been prolifically written on it, it is that of discipleship. And it is interesting to see the different slants and the different emphasis that the church has taken over the years about discipleship. Sometimes it's, uh, today in the modern church, it seems to be more on one-on-one discipleship rather than discipleship in the church or discipleship in the home. But uh, really, as you look at uh, the meaning of what it means to make a disciple in the scriptures, it's really not that hard. And the Greek word is mathetes, which it basically refers to a learner or a student. A disciple is a learner or a student. It is someone who is apprentice to a teacher to, to learn from him. So a, a disciple aims to learn the ways and the practices and the wisdom of his teacher. Uh, that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's a goal. Whether it's a disciple of John, whether it's a disciple of the Pharisees, whether it's the disciple of Jesus, the basic point is the same. That the learner, the, the disciple, seeks to learn and to adopt their teacher's teachings and way of life. So, so obviously... There is an intellectual content that a disciple learns, a, a way of thinking, a way of perceiving the world, thinking like his teacher thinks, sort of a, adopts his teacher's worldview. So there's a body of knowledge and understanding. And we often see Jesus teaching his learners this, this content this knowledge in the Gospels. Look back to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. You're already in the book of Matthew. Just skip back to chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Jesus, he's looking and, and he sees this massive crowd. And it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. That's not just the, the twelve apostles, but all these disciples, these followed. his disciples came and all these other folks, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And then we have what comes after that, a sermon, which we call Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7, where he, he teaches that content of what his disciples are to believe. But in the case of Jesus' disciples, the, the outcome of this learning was not simply just the mastery of a certain body of knowledge, you know, what we would today associate with like a classroom or sort of an academic setting. Uh, but what the learners were learning from Jesus was a way of life based upon their understanding of those certain truths about reality. So the goal was for them not only to know what their teacher knew, but also to be like their teacher, to, to walk in his ways. So the point I want us to see this morning is that they weren't learning a subject. They were learning 
a person. That's the difference. They were learning a person, not, not a subject, but a person. They, you know, they were learning his knowledge, his wisdom, his whole way of life. This is in part why learners or disciples often followed their teachers around. They weren't only listening to their teacher's words, but they saw his words in action in his life. And they sought to learn that way of life by being with him constantly. You could hardly learn from the master and adopt his way of life, as he taught it, if, if you weren't regularly watching him, if you weren't listening to him, if you weren't putting into practice what he said. So they often asked Jesus questions. They posed dilemmas and, and they sort of got clarification on things. You know, hey, Jesus, when you were teaching the crowd, you, you mentioned this. What does that mean? You know, what is the seed that you were talking about? And so Jesus would share that with him. But the significance of following Jesus goes even deeper than that in the Gospels. Jesus repeatedly tells people that following him is an exclusive life and death commitment. Uh, to go with him means to leave everything else behind, including your old way of life. And, and, and he puts it like this in Luke's Gospel. If I might look at Luke's Gospel again, Luke 14, 33. He says, so therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. So to learn Jesus is to submit yourself to his teaching, is to, to walk in his ways. Uh, it, it will leave, means leaving behind your current loyalties and commitments. Do you understand that? So, to, so, you know, that, that just sort of flies in the face of evangelical Christianity today. Because evangelical Christianity today, to be a follower of Jesus, means you just pray a prayer, right? And then when you get up, you walk and you go home and you do whatever. I mean, yeah, you ought to read your Bible. Yes, you ought to pray. Yes, you ought to, to, to do certain Christian things. You ought to go to church and, and stuff like that. But, but it's not that sense of, of, of giving your loyalties and your commitments to Jesus Christ. It, it means that we, we walk along the road to Jerusalem with him facing the cross that is waiting. And, and Jesus makes it very clear that saving our old life is not an option. We don't live with one foot in the old man and, and one foot in the new man. Yes, we have the remnant of the flesh that is in us. But our heart's desire and what it means to be a disciple or a learner is, is to follow him. So it's only by losing our lives that we will save them. Or to put it in Paul's language, it's only by being crucified with Christ that we can rise to a new life in him. So following Jesus in the Gospels involves repentance. It's an abandoning of my current existence and heading off in a new direction. It is identifying with Jesus through baptism to learn a whole new life from a new master and to be part of a new kingdom that, that he will bring. So it is a, a learning that's really transforming. You know, if you want to see a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to see somebody whose life is being changed and it keeps on being changed, leading to a transformed experience in a life. Our understanding of life changes decisively as we repent and submit ourselves to Christ. 
We're learning to observe all that he's commanded to obey. It's not just knowing what he commands, but it is that sense of knowing it, yes, but also doing it. So it's not merely knowing that content, but also doing his command and being like him in our character and our nature as, as he changes us. So it's sort of that no-be-do kind of concept. So if I could take all that and sort of boil it down to a definition for you as far as what a disciple is, it's a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. It, it, it is a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. So it's not just learning subjects. It is learning Christ. It is knowing how he thinks and how he acts. It's that sense of, of repentance, of faith, of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Now, that, that concept of discipleship is not new in Scripture. I mean, as you read through all the Scripture, and some of you may be reading through the Bible in a year or in two years, and if so, that's great. But you may have already encountered this about how parents are to disciple their children, right? We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in the book of Proverbs. We see it in Ephesians chapter 6. We see it throughout Scripture. And, and what's interesting is, is that as, as parents are discipling or training their, their kids, they don't just do that in a classroom setting. They do it as they walk along the way. They do it life on life, you know, as you were going. There's that sense of discipleship. You, you look at the leaders of God's people who are teaching God's people the law and, and expounding that. Now, the one thing about the law that's interesting is, is that it not only reveals God's commands, but it also reveals his character, too, as well, and who he is. But, but so often, when God's people or God's leaders, whether it's Moses or whoever, maybe King Josiah, as is, is they're instructing God's people in his law, oftentimes they didn't see God's character. They just took it as a set of rules. But, but Jesus commands us to know him. But, but how are we to do that? Well, obviously, it's through his word that he reveals himself, so we, we must know that. But, but it also, another way that we make disciples and, and, and if you think about that, that's interesting that he's given us the command to make disciples because that's really sort of a task we can't do. I can't make you be a learner or a disciple, but, but as I have that opportunity, I can share with you God's word. I also can pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. John sixteen thirteen. So we make disciples through his word, but also through the work of the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus talks about how he's getting ready to leave and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, that is Jesus. He'll show him Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, so you have the word, you have the spirit at work in the life of a believer, but also you, you have a sense in which in, in that discipleship process is a sense of you imitating me or imitating a, a more mature believer. Uh, think about the words that Paul spoke in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, Brothers, 
Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And then Paul goes on to talk about how there were many who walked away from the faith. But he's encouraging one Christian to look at the life of another as they exhibit Jesus Christ. And so there's a sense in which we, we make disciples. Jesus isn't physically here with us today. And so it's not like we can follow him around in life and see what he looks like. But as we read his word, as we're taught his word, as the spirit of God works in us, not only to understand these commands, but, gives, but changes our hearts and our wills to do these things as, as Christians are walking alongside with more mature believers and seeing the example in their lives, then we see people who are being made into disciples. And so that's the assignment that Christ gives to his church to make disciples. But he's talking more than just about parents discipling their kids or about uh, church leaders instructing God's people in the word. He's also commanding us to make disciples of who? The nations, of the ethnos, of the people groups of the world. And so this begins, obviously, you can't be teaching someone how to grow in their faith if they don't have faith. So implied in this whole idea of making disciples is the idea of evangelism or witnessing. And so this begins with sharing the gospel, but it doesn't stay there. It's not just sharing the gospel, but as once people come to faith in Christ, it is helping them to mature in him and, and to grow in him. Now, it's interesting, when you look at the, the, the modern church's idea, we oftentimes split up discipleship and evangelism, right? Those are two different activities. But if you look here in God's word, it's all one. It's all one. And I wonder, you know, as I was reading this, I wonder how our thinking and how our practice might change in the church if we thought of ourselves, rather than those who do discipleship or evangelism, to think about those who are making learners, those who are making learners, as the Lord gives us opportunity to do that, if that might change the practice and the way that we do things. I wonder if evangelism might more naturally flow out of our practice as a church. If we, if we saw ourselves as forgiven sinners who are learning Christ in repentance and faith, and we saw each other that way, if that happened, there would be intentional movement towards spiritual growth because we'd want to be like Jesus. Of course, there would be ups and downs in our spiritual growth. There always is. I mean, all you got to do is read about the New Testament churches, right? They, we, we reflect what we see in Scripture oftentimes, right? Our struggle with sin and things like that. But we would see lives change. Our lives change. And we would see the lives of others change. We would see that growth. We would see that spiritual maturity and change would be a part of our reality to the point to where we would expect change in the life even of those who don't know Jesus Christ because we would have seen the power of the Holy Spirit in us and we would anticipate the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those people around us it would be an intentional relationship with Jesus that manifests itself every day in discipleship and evangelism. So that's that's the Great Commission. So that's the assignment. But but he also talks here in this text about the authority of the Great Commission. Um, look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this isn't just an empty claim from a, a, a mere human rabbi. I mean, but it was a statement from the risen Lord, from Jesus Christ, who had been raised again from the dead. That's what we read in the first part of Matthew 28. And he doesn't just claim some authority, but he instead claims all authority and not just authority here on earth, but also in heaven. And, and if anyone else made this statement, we might think, well, that's a little bit over the top, but, but not for Jesus. I mean, Jesus was not exaggerating one bit when he claimed that he had all authority. Now, authority means a, a freedom and a right to speak and to act as one pleases. And so to say that Jesus has all authority means that Jesus has unrestricted freedom and right to speak and act as he pleases. Which means that there's no authority outside of Jesus' authority. All authority is really delegated authority by God. And so while Jesus was on earth, he had authority over disease and demons and sin and death and nature. And we saw all of that. But, but this authority is, I don't want to say it's, it's different, but it's more complete. It has no limits. This, this statement anticipates his ascension and his enthronement at the right hand of God the Father. Do you remember when we went through the book of Ephesians, one of the things that I pointed out was just the power of God to save and what it is that he did, not only to have us come to faith in Christ, but to continue to grow in that faith. So turn over to Ephesians, if you would, to chapter 1 and verse 19. And, and Paul says, and, and what is the immeasurable greatness of the his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority. Not just above all rule and authority, far above, way out there. I just can't express how much higher Jesus' authority is than any other authority. And uh, so far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been highly exalted to the right hand of the Father and the entire universe is subjective to him and placed under his feet. His pos- he possesses all rights over every human life, over every circumstance, over all of human history. Uh, in, in Philippians, Paul carries on this idea. Philippians 2.9. He says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our God. That's Jesus. And brothers and sisters, let us not confuse his long-suffering or his patience with thinking that God is powerless. Oftentimes, God does not demonstrate his powers in ways that we would expect or, or manifest because of his long-suffering and his patience. Now, why, why does Jesus make this claim of authority? Well, first of all, 
He has authority to command us to reach the world with the gospel. He's saying to you, I have the authority and I am sending you. He, he poses supreme authority to commission us and to send us to speak on his behalf. So when Jesus says go and to make disciples, there is an authority behind that command. And so for us to not make disciples is a total disregard to the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forget it. Let me just say it the way it is. It's being rebellious. When we don't make disciples, we are being rebellious. We all know what rebellious kids are like, right? And how challenging and how difficult that is. But that's where we're being. So if you're a believer, you have a part in fulfilling the Great Commission. It's not an option for us. But there's a second reason, and, and, and I'd say maybe even more important, but is that Jesus makes this statement in order to encourage his disciples that what would seem to us to be hopelessly impossible, he is able to bring about as he does his work through us. And that's important because the task that Jesus has given here is not difficult, or I shouldn't say just difficult, it's actually impossible. To reach all the people groups in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, how intimidating is that? If we really believe that that's what Jesus has told us to do, that, that commission should overwhelm us, especially as we encounter obstacles like rejection and ridicule, the loss of friends, alienation of family members, and probably all of us to some degree have experienced these kind of things because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and just think how these things hinder us from going forward and sharing Christ and making disciples. And so when Jesus says that he has all authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth, he is saying that he will guarantee the success of our efforts to the degree that it is within his will. Jesus is greater than all the opposition that we will face. He's greater than any of the difficulty that we will ever be confronted with. But to face these things and to not be discouraged requires faith that his promises are true. Do you believe what he says? Do you believe that Jesus has all authority? You know, there may be things that, that cause you to be timid in in making disciples with others or in sharing your faith with others. But I want you to know that Jesus has all authority. Jesus will use his authority to open doors that no one will close. If you look at the book of Acts, you'll see that the authority of Jesus Christ was used to give success in the expansion of the church. Jesus has authority to send the power of the Holy Spirit, right, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And then we see the Holy Spirit coming upon this group that's having this prayer meeting in the upper room. Jesus has the authority then to call out of the world unto himself people who come to faith in him. As Peter, a fisherman, stands up and he preaches and 3,000 plus come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has the authority then to build his church. We read in Acts 2 that the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. And I cannot help but think that the church today is so ineffective in reaching the lost, not because our methodology and our practices are lacking, but primarily because we have mistakenly thought that it's up to us and our efforts to bring people 
into the church. And though, therefore, we've stopped asking Jesus to add to our numbers daily. We have stopped praying. We have stopped pleading before the throne of grace and asking Jesus, who has all authority, to work in the life of others. You know, um, Jesus has all authority to convert his enemies. I know we know this because we all were in alienation to Christ at one time. But, but listen to Paul's words in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. He said, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We didn't seek him. He sought us. And think about the Apostle Paul who wrote these words. Um, at one time, he persecuted the church, breathing out murderous hates towards Christ. And yet the Lord humbled him and brought him to faith. So, so what's required of us if we are to make disciples? Well, two things. Let me suggest to you one is submission and the other is obedience to make disciples. Submission to Christ's authority to say, Lord, I'm yours. I, I recognize that you, are, you have the absolute right to command my life. You are my master. I am your servant. Lord, you can send me wherever you want. You can have me talk to whoever you want. I, I'm yours. All authority has been given to you, Jesus. No authority has been given to me. None whatsoever. Only that which you have given to me. So do we acknowledge that Christ has all authority over us? Do we submit ourselves to Christ's supreme authority? Is that where our, your life is today? As you have come into the house of the Lord, have you come as one who is a holy and living sacrifice? Is your life so submissive to the Lord that you will say to him, Lord, I'll go and do whatever you want. The second thing, though, is obedience. And I think this oftentimes is something that, that we miss. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? In other words, how can you recognize my authority if you don't respond with obedience to this authority? It's, it's necessary for each and every one of us here today to step out in faith and to be used of God in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And, and that's the, the, the greatest thrill in all of life is to know Jesus Christ. And if that's true, then the second greatest thrill is to make him known to others that they might come to faith in him as well. And so Jesus says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you, Kirk of the Plains, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching evangelical churches in Andover and Augusta, and Wichita, and Rose Hill, and Douglas, and Newton, and El Dorado, and Hayesville. I think I pretty much covered it all. If I missed anybody, I'm, I'm sorry. But my question is this. Do we have a vision for that? Is that our focus, to make disciples? Jesus has all authority to do so. And then finally, we have the assurance of the Great Commission. In verse 20, you know, um, Jesus comes up on the mountain. He told his disciples that he has all authority. And then after he gives that great comfort, excuse me, and after he's given the great commission, he then says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Look at that sandwich that he gives. It's sort of like a grace sandwich. He talks about his authority and he talks about his assurance. And then in the middle is the great commission, is the command to go and to make disciples. And, and that's important to think about, you know, as, as we approach this. I mean, think about how many people were on that mountain. How many? Eleven. Eleven men. And he is saying to them, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all the nations. Now, can you imagine, you know, they might have, I don't know what, how they responded, but I could only imagine they might have looked at each other and said, seriously, he wants us to do that? Right. You know, who are we? We're fishermen. We're tax collectors. I mean, even Peter denied Jesus. And yet Jesus said, I'm commanding you to go and make disciples. And so Jesus says to us at Kirk of the Plains, as you are, are living your lives together, make disciples. Bring to me men and women, boys and girls who love me more than anybody else, who trust me. Only who will willingly live for me and die for me, bring them from every tribe and tongue and people. And like the disciples, we need the assurance that Jesus gives as he commands us to go and to make disciples. We need that assurance and comfort. As I close, I want you to just think about what comes chronologically next after the Great Commission. And don't say the Gospel of Mark. I mean, I know Mark comes after Matthew. I'm talking chronologically in terms of the events of the New Testament. What comes next? Acts, right? It's the events of Acts. And for probably almost 2,000 years, Christians have called the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. And I'm not going to quibble over that. I think there's probably a better title for that. Maybe like the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But, but I like what one Christian said. They said, you know, the book of Acts really ought to be called the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus Christ and the Sovereign Holy Spirit for the glory of the Father with whom the often stumbling and bumbling apostles were used as a divine instruments for the bringing in of men and women, boys and girls from all the nations. Now, that almost sounds like a Puritan title, doesn't it? OK, but, you know, that's probably a little bit long, but it does get the point across that really the acts that are occurring in the book of Acts are the acts of God. Um, it's about Jesus and what he's doing. What he is doing is he sits at the right hand of God the Father and he is reigning all over all things. And as he has sent the Holy Spirit into the world, even the apostles aren't maybe always doing what they're supposed to be doing, but Jesus is. And so you see, that's the way that we need to understand the Great Commission. Yes, we are to be faithful, but ultimately Jesus is not coming to help us in our task of the Great Commission. That's not what's happening. He is inviting us to join him. Now, he's not just inviting us, he's commanding us. But he is commanding us to join him in his great work of bringing the nations into the enjoyment of the glory of his love and grace. And we need to remember that. We need to have that encouragement because it's daunting when you think of the task that's before us. What, four, five, six billion people who have not bowed their knees to Jesus? And Jesus says, as you are living together as a church, Kirk of the Plains, make disciples. He said, I'm not asking you, I'm commanding you because I have authority, but I also have the authority to accomplish that task using you to do so. But don't worry, I'll be with you. As a matter of fact, I'll never even leave you.
Do we believe that as a church? Do we? Is that our focus? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for giving us such weighty words and, and, and yet such awesome promises to, to go along with that. And, and it is our prayer, Lord, that you would first of all, that we would be disciples, that we would be learners, that we would pursue Jesus, that we would seek to live with Jesus, that we would be in your word, dependent upon the Holy Spirit, God, that you would cause us to be with other believers, imitating them in, in their maturity and seeing Christ in them and understand what it means to follow you and to know you. We pray that we would be like Jesus. But we also pray, Lord, that we could live in obedience to you to make disciples, to make learners as well. And, and I do pray, Lord, that you would cause us to do that right here in the midst of life, right where we're at. But Lord, I also know that there may be those in our congregation that you may raise up to send out overseas. And I pray that you would prepare their hearts, God, to go and to, to respond to that call. But I also pray that you would help us as a church to be committed, Lord, to support them in prayer and financially, uh, to partner to gather, Lord, to see the Great Commission happen. And Lord, help us to also partner with other churches um, that we might see, Father, your kingdom um, established. Lord, we pray that um, if we are here today and we're timid, we feel inadequate, you know, like we talked last week with using spiritual gifts, sometimes we may just feel like, oh, Lord, who am I? But God, you wouldn't command us to do this if, if you didn't give us the ability to do so. And so I pray that you would help us. And Lord, I know that there are many here today who are already doing these things. And I, I pray that you would continue to encourage them. They may be in the midst of discouragement. They may be in, even in the midst of persecution or of alienation in their relationships with other people. And they just think, Lord, I'm trying to follow you, but look what's happening. Let them not lose heart, oh God. Strengthen them. Strengthen their knees, Lord, to persevere and to trust you and to know that your promises are true. And Lord, we're just excited to see what will happen in our midst and in our community. And so, Lord, I pray that in all these things, it would lead us to worship you, that you would continue to add to our numbers, Lord, not just those from other churches or those that already profess faith in Christ, but also, Lord, those that don't know you as well. We thank you, Lord, and pray that our heart would be to follow you and to do your will, to be like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.